three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, and great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, we're going to recap the Super Bowl coming up in just a second, plus a brand new interview today with Dave Bennett, the sports director at WGN Radio and the voice of Northwestern Athletics. We talk with him at length about the Super Bowl, the Bears' new moves, plus Northwestern basketball, what to expect for them come later this season. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zaglou. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and sportstalkchicago.com. I want to start today with this. When you make it to a championship, NBA Finals, Super Bowl, World Series, you think, as a coach, let me rely on the guys who got me here. I mean, it'd be stupid if the Bears win the Super Bowl And all of a sudden, oh, hey, Andy Dalton, you're going to start. No, obviously, it would be Justin Fields. He got you there in that situation. For some reason yesterday, the Bengals chose not to listen to that philosophy. Two times during the game, they needed one yard to gain, third and one in the first quarter. Inside the red zone in the fourth quarter. And both times, Joe Mixon was nowhere to be found. Talked about this on the program last week. Joe Mixon, 292 carries, 1,300 rushing yards, dual threat back. One of the top running backs in the game this year, statistically. Yet he wasn't on the field. Zach Taylor, Mr. Quarterback Guru, Mr. Great Offensive Mind, did not have Joe Mixon on the field. Why not? from J.J. Zacharyson, let us never forget that the Bengals gave the ball to Samad J. Perrine with the Super Bowl on the line. And in the first quarter, third and one, Zach Taylor gave it to Perrine again, could not gain the one yard, and they had to punt. And I get it, you know, if the Bengals won, it was a one-possession game, we wouldn't even be talking about this, but the fact is, they lost. The fact is, there were reasons why they lost. That's one of them right there. How do you not use your top running back in those situations? And at the end of the game, Perrine didn't even die for that football that Joe Burrow threw. Just let it drop onto the ground. Game over. You know, your whole season, your Super Bowl chances are on the line, and no effort, no effort at all being shown. Ridiculous. Saw a couple of people chide me. I pronounced his name wrong in the last video. My bad. But obviously, he's not a relevant player. You know, he's been around in the NFL for such a long time. Uh, Played with the now-defunct Redskins for a number of years, now the Commanders. He's never been anything significant. I couldn't even believe I saw his name on the roster come week one for the Bengals. I thought he'd been out of the NFL. And he was there. I just scratched my head, and I get it this year. Third down guy, decent enough pass catcher. You could justify putting him in here and there. Not in the Super Bowl. Not in the Super Bowl. When you need to gain yards. No. Stupid move. Joe Mixon got you to this point. 
You had a better run game than the Rams. The Rams last night averaged less than two yards per carry. They won. Can you imagine if Mixon was used in those two situations? Could have been a whole new ball game. But no. Perrine got the call, and Perrine did nothing. Don't understand it. Not a big-time player. Never really in this type of situation. Super Bowl for Perrine. And he couldn't rise to the challenge. Obviously. Ridiculous. Horrible. I had no clue why he was used. I had no idea why he was in in those critical situations. And the Bengals wonder why they lost. Uh, Joe Burrow played pretty well, and there's a real lesson there for Bears fans. Get the guy in offensive line. We hear it here all the time, but the same goes for Burrow. Had a good game and got killed in the sacks department. Ridiculous, too. I remember this when Burrow tore his ACL from no protection in the pocket. That next day, Zach Taylor went to the Dan Patrick Show. Dan asked him about why there's no offensive line, why nobody's protecting him. He got so defensive, he got mad, almost hung up on the interview. I remember watching it the day after. No defensive. Get the guy an offensive line. Please. You can't expect somebody to just go out there and kill it and avoid pressure. Why not every play, you're being pressured. Because your own line can't block anybody. I give Joe Burrow all the credit in the world. I mean, he was the MVP of this postseason, seriously. To get to the Super Bowl with that O-line, unbelievable. He's the MVP to me. He's the MVP of the whole postseason. Matthew Stafford got his ring. Cooper Cup did great, I understand. But the fact that the Bengals were even there with that O-line, they had no business being in the Super Bowl with that offensive line. That's like Bears football, offensive line. They had no business being there. They made it there. That's all Joe Burrow. All of it's on him. He was the most impressive player I saw throughout the entire postseason. By far. And, you know, everyone's going to forget about him now, right? He didn't win. Had he won, there would have been so much conversation around Joe Burrow. Now, no one's going to talk about him too much. People are going to forget about this, but I won't. And the guy was sacked eight times in a game this postseason. They were in the Super Bowl. That's insane. He deserves all the credit in the world. I wish he was on a team that prioritized people around him. I get it. They got Jamar Chase. They got some good wide receivers. What about the freaking offensive line? Not going to help anybody if you have deep front wide receivers and your quarterback can't get two seconds to throw the ball. That's the Bengals' problem. They need offensive line help, and they need to hit on Zach Taylor and ask him and understand why Joe Mixon wasn't used. I don't get it. Going to be a lot of thinking to do on his part, Zach Taylor, come next year. I mean, if the Bengals are good enough again next year and they get back to this point, please, if there's one thing you take away from this Super Bowl loss, use the guys who got you there. Please. Use the guys who put you in that position. It's clear Joe Mixon did. All year he did. He ran the ball 292 times all season. Yet on a third and one of the first quarter, don't use him. And late in the fourth, not even on the field. Yeah, that's a joke. Good for the Rams. I'm happy to see Matthew Stafford win. Now Stafford went through way too many problems up in Detroit. First year leaves, now wins the Super Bowl. And him and Cooper Cup were a great combination Saw somebody tell me the other day, hey, who's throwing the ball to Cooper Cup? Yeah, I understand. But did you see how many times Cooper Cup caught the ball, then gained yards after the catch? That's why Cooper Cup was an MVP candidate, and that's why in the end he won the Super Bowl MVP. That's the argument for Cooper Cup. I get it. Matthew Stafford threw the ball. I get there has to be a connection, but Cooper Cup is the heart of that offense. He is. I'm Matthew Stafford. I didn't see Stafford win the MVP last night. No. He threw two picks, too. One of them not his fault, but still. Cooper Cup won the MVP. Cooper Cup was the potential NFL MVP. Cup got all the consideration, deservedly so. That's why. 
You saw that drive last night to end the game? That's why. And the Rams were stacked. The Bengals, really, personnel-wise, do not compare to the Rams, especially defensively. Rams, Von Miller, Aaron Donald, my goodness, they killed it. Only thing the Bengals had, run game. And guess what? Didn't use it. You know what your advantage is, and you choose not to use it. Shame on you. Not shame on the Rams. Shame on the Bengals. You knew your one advantage. You never used it right. I'm sorry, you did until you need it to use it right. Then you screwed up and choked it. And that's why you lost. The Rams couldn't run the ball. Two yards per carry, max. Cam Akers, 1.6 yards per carry. But that's the choice Zach Taylor made. Bengals lost. Good for the Rams. I'm happy for Stafford. Very, very happy for Stafford. Uh, This makes him a legitimate Hall of Fame quarterback. Say what you want about that, but it's true. He has the numbers. He needed the championship. Everybody knew it. He's going to get in. That's a fact. His numbers are pretty much similar already to Phillip Rivers, and he has a championship now. Left Detroit first year, win a championship. That's a pretty nice story, isn't it? Leave a team, minor mediocrity, have a brand-new team, first year, new head coach, new system, win the whole thing. Great story. It goes to show how Matthew Stafford is not a bad quarterback. Never has been, never will be. Always a decent top 10, top 12 quarterback, and that's fine. It got the job done. Going to be a Hall of Famer? Good for him. I'd love to know how Detroit fans are feeling. Probably the closest they'll ever get to a Super Bowl. But hey, he left and he won. And the Rams won. Nothing bad you could say. I will say this, though. Look at the Rams and who they are. The Bears, obviously, if they want to get to a Super Bowl or win, they have a bit of a ways to go. Getting to the Super Bowl is not impossible. And I think we saw that with the Bengals. So Bears fans watching the game, there's a path, even though there doesn't seem to be one. I'm serious. I mean, look at this Bengals team. Bengals had nothing. No offensive line, good run game, great quarterback. Made it this far. And could have won the game if they relied on their number one running back, not their backup, not their third down guy, not some journeyman. Proves the Bears could do the same thing. There's a lot of parity in the NFL, but more than anything, the Bears don't need an over-the-top roster to make it. They may, they may need that to win, but not to make it. Bengals proved it. Joe Burrow set the record for most times being sacked in a postseason, and yet they were leading part of that game. They were winning. Almost did win, too. That was a good reminder to the Bears fans watching to watch that Super Bowl. It is really possible. But see, there are a lot of confounding factors, too. You have to have a good quarterback. said it before. I'll say it again. Justin Fields has to be Joe Burrow. Not stylistically, but mindset-wise. Joe Burrow put a whole city, whole franchise on his back one year. Went to the Super Bowl. It's all took. Justin Fields needs to have that same mindset and that same capacity. Much harder, bigger market, but it's possible. If Justin Fields could carry this team, the Bears will go wherever they want to go. I mean, even Joe Burrow overcame a bad offensive line to get to that point. So it's not impossible. Any stretch. But Justin Fields has to learn how to put a team on his back. He hasn't shown that yet. Good. Hasn't shown it yet. And the Bears have to provide something for him. You know? Something. I mean... Bengals had a decent defense, but good run game. Bears have a pretty good run game to their credit. David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, maybe Tariq Cohen. The Bears have what it takes, better defense too. So this is not outside of the realm of possibility, but a lot of changes need to be made. Culture changes, mindset changes, and please, an offensive line. Please, and maybe another pass catcher or two as well. Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. Well, there you go. Three great wide receivers you could throw to at any time. The Bears have none or one right now. Darnell Mooney. You need more. The Bears fans, you saw the blueprint yesterday. Doesn't have to be perfect, which is comforting. It's obvious at this point, 
You don't need a perfect roster to get to the Super Bowl. Might need one to win, but not to get there. Bengals didn't. Bengals had a horrible offensive line. They still made it. Bears could. It all comes down to the quarterback. Is Justin Fields able to put a whole city and a whole team on his back? We don't know yet. That's going to be the sole determining factor. The Bears could do whatever they want around Justin Fields, right? They could get a new O-line, more defensive help, new wide receivers, better running backs, or keep David Montgomery. That's fine. At the end of the day, though, it's going to come down to Justin Fields. I really believe Justin Fields is the sole determining factor in getting the Bears back to the Super Bowl. Justin Fields is the sole determining factor. Just like Joe Burrow. This Bengals team was nothing last year, especially after he got hurt. How do they turn it around this year? Joe Burrow. Yeah, it's going to make a big difference when your starting quarterback has 37 touchdowns, 4,500 yards, and overcomes a horrible offensive line. It's going to make a big difference. And Justin Fields do the same. That is the question. It has nothing to do with, oh, they're one wide receiver away, right? One linebacker away. No, no, no. That has nothing to do with it. The Bears are not one receiver away from a Super Bowl or one lineman away from a Super Bowl. No. They need Justin Fields to be Joe Burrow. They need Justin Fields to be capable of putting a city and a franchise on his back, turning the culture around in one year, putting up 4,000 passing yards, 30 passing touchdowns. That's what they need. Burrow proved it. Burrow didn't even need an offensive line. And he should have one. Didn't have one. Still made it. That's what I take away from that game. That's the biggest takeaway. The Bears need Justin Fields to develop. That's the only chance they have, at least, coming up here to make a Super Bowl. Not impossible, but a tall task. That needs to happen. The Bengals proved it. Good run game, too, yes, but great quarterback. The Rams had a stacked roster, 100%. Stacked roster. But the Bengals did make it, and they got hot at the right time. They went 10-7. Not always the best team on paper who gets in. It's a tournament. I mean, really, it's a tournament once you get to the playoffs. In the NFL, anything can happen. Nine times out of ten, the Bills would probably be in that Super Bowl this year. They were probably the best team in the AFC on paper, yet they didn't win. Bengals did. So it's a lot of luck. There's a lot that goes into it besides just the best roster, best team on paper. And I hope we all realize that after we watch the game. Wasn't all about with a better roster. For the winner, maybe, yes, but still. Not about the roster. It's not about being one wide receiver away, one lineman away, one linebacker away. It has nothing to do with that. Here's what matters. Can you get hot? And can your quarterback put a team on his back? Can Justin Fields be a franchise guy? Can he lead a city, not just a team, a city, to that spot? Joe Burrow did. He had no O-line, too. So he proved at least it's possible. I don't recommend that same strategy for the Bears. I think Justin Fields needs to be protected. He deserves it. The Bears owe it to him. Really, they owe it to him. Every quarterback is owed at least three seconds to throw the damn football. Burrow didn't have that. Still doesn't. Fields deserves it. If the Bears could get to that point, they keep their run game intact like Cleveland. They have a good enough defense for sure, better than Cleveland's. They could be right there. But it all depends on Justin Fields. He is by far the biggest determining factor for a Super Bowl. Without a doubt, quarterback's always going to be that way. Look at the Rams. They got rid of Jared Goff, bringing Matthew Stafford. They win. Because Matthew Stafford's a competent quarterback. Say what you want. You can criticize him all you want. Oh, Stat, Padford, whatever it might be, he's a competent NFL quarterback. He knows what he's doing. He's not an idiot. Jared Goff? Eh, not so much. 
Matthew Stafford, though, 100%. Didn't want him on the Bears because I knew it wouldn't work. Stafford had to have the right team around him. I leave Detroit, come to Chicago, and the situation is pretty similar. Well, it's not going to work on every team, but no matter what, Stafford's competent. He was competent for a long time in Detroit. Not his fault they didn't go anywhere. He came here to the Bears, would have been this same situation. Maybe would have made the playoffs and lost right away. They had nothing. Look at how bad Justin Fields was. Even Dalton, Foles, whenever they played. This would not have worked for the Bears, but he went to the right team. Great coach. Good weapons, wide receiving weapons. Maybe not a run game, but wide receivers. It worked. It worked great. Good defense, too. Stacked defense. A lot of big names. And that defensive front. So it worked. I think there's one more thing to mention, too. Despite all that I've said today, there is not one specific blueprint that gets you to the Super Bowl. There have been many teams who've done it many different ways. I mean, the Bears in 2006 at Rex Grossman. Okay, anything's possible. It depends on when you get hot, at what time, who you beat, strength of schedule, and who you face off against in the playoffs. Now, it really is a crapshoot, even though bankers won't tell you that, but it's a crapshoot, really, from the beginning of the year to Super Bowl Sunday, 100%. So all these blueprints, all these ideas I'm throwing out there, they may not work. Different for every team. But based on what I saw last night, this is how the Bears have to make it. This is how they could make it. It all starts with the quarterback, no matter what. Always. Joe Burrow showed unbelievable growth in his second year, to the point where I'm even shocked. I thought he would have been a bust, Burrow. Proved me wrong. Proved a lot of people wrong. The Bears need that from Justin Fields. They need that progression. They need Fields to be able to put a team on his back and win. Until that happens, it's not going to happen for the Bears. The Super Bowl. Even a deep playoff run, they need a quarterback to be able to to be a franchise guy, to put a team on his back. Justin Fields could, not proven yet, but could. You have to give him time to find out. All I'm saying is Burrow didn't need an offensive line. Just needed a run game and a decent defense. Good wide receivers. The Bears just need some wide receivers. They need to give Justin Fields weapons. And I still think an offensive line is necessary for him. Look, I'm not going to be essy and sit here and tell you, oh, no offensive line is necessary. Yes, it is. Bears owe it to Fields. They do. They need to protect him. Not like Burrow. More fragile. Injury prone. Needs an offensive line to protect him. Needs time to throw the football. So, maybe the Bears aren't close. Have a little bit of a ways to go, but Justin Fields could make a difference. Will make all the difference on this timeline for them. It's possible. That said, Rams deservedly won. And it has nothing to do with talent. Has nothing to do with them having a better roster. Has everything to do with Zach Taylor's decision to not use his real starting running back. That's going to cost you. I mean, that reminded me of Matt Nagy football. That's something Matt Nagy would do. Get to the Super Bowl and sit David Montgomery, right? Like, I mean, that's something Matt Nagy would do. And that was done in the game. Third and one, first quarter, I'm going to sit my starting running back. Fourth down, fourth quarter, inside the red zone. I'm not going to use him either. Why? You used him all year. You leaned on him all year. Why not use him? And that's what you get. You had the talent on your team, or good enough talent, to win. You chose not to. You chose to sit him for whatever reason, and that one's going to bite you. That's why Cincinnati lost more than anything. Joe Burrow played fine, played good enough to win. Got sacked a ton, still kept his composure. But when you take out a running back with 292 carries and got you to that point, and then don't use him in big situations, yeah, that's going to cost you. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Dan Bennett comes up next, so stay tuned.
Talk Chicago. Number John Zaglula, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the sports director at WGN Radio, the voice of Northwestern Athletics. Please welcome Dave Bennett to the program. Dave, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Great to be with you. How'd the Super Bowl go yesterday for you? <laughs> well, it was interesting because I was in uh, Champaign doing the Northwestern Illinois game and left Champaign, I think a little bit after four, by the time I got on the road. And so I knew I wasn't going to make kickoff. So I had set my DVR to record it and I, I avoided any uh, exposure to the score or anything that, that might've tipped me off to what was happening in the game. And I waited until I got home and uh, just got everything set and uh, sat down and grabbed the remote and started to watch it. So probably about an hour behind schedule. And it was an interesting way to watch. And I've watched a lot of football games that way. But, you know, it's different because I actually cared about seeing some of the commercials. So I couldn't just fast forward <laughs> through them. <laughs> but uh, it took a while to get through it. But I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was entertaining. There are plenty of big plays, plenty of good storylines. It hasn't always been the case uh, with Super Bowls. And I I think, uh, John, this may be a little st- – I've seen every one of them. <laughs> so they've, they've all occurred in my lifetime. And I have to say that this is one that, uh, you know, there used to be the narrative on the Super Bowl for a long time was – that the game never matches the hype. And it's really hard, I think, for any event to match the kind of hype that you get for the Super Bowl. But I have to say, I do think that if you go back over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so, I think most of the games have been pretty decent, or at least there's been a compelling storyline, unlike some earlier games uh, when, you know, they were kind of either blowouts, major blowouts, or they just weren't that enticing. What uh, made yesterday's game so compelling to you? Well, I think part of it obviously was the idea that that the Bengals and nobody saw that coming, right? I mean, that's always, I think, a good storyline. And then the fact that not only were they an underdog, even though they weren't a prohibitive underdog by any stretch, but that that they were there with the lead with, what, uh, six minutes to go when the Rams got the ball. And I think uh, that that was part of it. I think the personalities involved, I think with the Rams, you have this kind of eclectic group where you have some, some guys who've been with the franchise for a long time and have uh, accomplished established careers in the NFL, but never got a chance to do anything like this, or maybe they had one Super Bowl but haven't won it. And then you had the, the Matthew Stafford story and the Odell Beckham story. And then you look at Cincinnati and you've got this upstart and Joe Burrow and uh, basically a team that hasn't been in the spotlight very much, uh, a coach who was under a lot of fire and probably still is. <laughs> and I just think that, that all those factors kind of combined. I really like watching Burrow. I mean, I enjoyed watching him in college and uh, look, the guy competes and uh, they, he may not be, the best quarterback in his own conference, you know, when, when all things are considered, when, when you've got Mahomes and Josh Allen and people like that out there, but I'll have to tell you, I think uh, you like having him on your side. And I think if you look over Matthew Stafford's body of work over his years in Detroit, and you just wonder if he had any kind of a team around him, uh, how he would be perceived today compared to, you know, now at the, not maybe not the twilight of his career, but certainly getting up there, he's sort of had a renaissance in his career now in Los Angeles. And I think people have realized how good this guy is. How do you rank that last part of the drive for the Rams with Stafford and Cup really taking control and driving downfield and scoring? I mean, I, I think it was a great chemistry lesson, right? I mean, clearly these guys have put the work in. And I think when you consider that, he had lost a guy who was early in the game, a go-to weapon for him in Beckham and really had to lean heavily on, on uh, Cup, certainly there. He tried some other guys during the course of the game, Jefferson, uh, Ben Skoranek, who, who played here at Northwestern and then played at Notre Dame. And, you know, I think he got 
maybe called out a little bit unfairly for that interception. That was, that was a, would have been a great catch if he'd been able to make it. And I guess you try, you try to knock it down, but that's a tough deal for a rookie playing in a Super Bowl. But in any event, I, I just think, you know, they did what they did all year. Look at what they did at the end of the game against Tampa Bay. I mean, there's a perfect example. And if you look at it, the Tampa Bay game, uh, the NFC Championship game against the 49ers all came down to Matthew Stafford leading a drive late. I think that's kind of how you make your legacy, right? If you're an NFL quarterback. Is he a Hall of Famer now? I, I think he's on his way. I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't analyzed his his stats enough compared to guys of his ilk, uh, but I certainly think he's got the resume to be considered. And now that he's got a Super Bowl win, I think you certainly have to to uh, look into what he does here over however many years he has left in his career. If he can take the Rams back, then yeah, I would say so because look, he's got as many Super Bowl wins now as. Aaron Rodgers. And I think if you ask most people, is he a Hall of Famer? They'd probably tell you yes, right? And uh, and Brett Favre, for that matter, and and who is in the Hall of Fame and and so many others and guys who haven't won a, Hall, a Super Bowl. So I, I think he, he certainly merits consideration. Dave Bennett here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dave, when are the Bears going to be in a Super Bowl? <laughs> well, hey, they've been in two of them, John. I mean, <laughs> let's not get greedy here. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think you you have to walk, right? You have to crawl before you can walk. And, you know, I think now they've they've taken some steps that I, I think at least you would hope get them pointed in the right direction. And certainly it it's not going to happen tomorrow. I, I saw the, the odds for next year are out. And I think there are only five teams with longer odds next year than the Bears, which you know, that's where they are. And, uh, but, but I do, I like what they've put together from the, the brain trust standpoint. Uh, if they let these guys do their jobs and, and I, and I like Justin Fields. I mean, I think you, you can't come to rash judgments or conclusions based on what he did this year under very difficult circumstances. So I, when's it going to be? <laughs> You know, so much has to, I mean, think about it. So much has to happen. But if you had asked fans in Cincinnati this time last year, when are the Bengals ever going to be in a Super Bowl? Is there any way, especially not knowing how Burrow would come through the ACL surgery, uh, coming off a bad year? Uh, they had a, you know, if you look at their combined record for the past couple of years, I think they, they were the first team to get to the Super Bowl after the kind of one loss record of the winning percentage they had over the past X number of years. So you just don't know. And things are so less predictable now. I believe in, in a lot of sports, but certainly in the NFL. And, and it's, it's just hard to say based on what a team did last year, you look at the schedule and, and it, everybody says, okay, here, here's your schedule. And this is going to be a really tough schedule next year. But then those teams lose certain guys, guys retire, guys get hurt. And all of a sudden, what looked like a tough schedule isn't so tough. And conversely, what looks like a really easy schedule can suddenly become much more difficult. So I think all those factors enter into it. How'd you gauge Justin Fields' rookie season? I, I was encouraged, uh, I think, when you looked at him when he was healthy. Uh, I think that, and as he got some experience, as he got kind of some, some, uh, just some reps and just, just began getting more of a feel for it. I mean, I, I think you look at that Monday night game against Pittsburgh. I, I came away from that certainly feeling and encouraged some of his late season performances. He's got a ways to go, but I think you know, that's true of any young quarterback. And I think you have to build the, the right pieces around him. But I think that the fact that, and I, I watched him play in college as I guess the whole world did. Right. And, you know, I just, I, I think the guy's got a world of talent and I think he's got the right mindset and that's the most important thing, John. I mean, he clearly is a guy who wants to do well. And I, I think if you talk to anyone who's, who's known the guy, who's, who's had any interaction with him, that's what you hear. I mean, he really wants to make himself into a great NFL quarterback. So 
I think that's half the battle, maybe not half, but that's a lot of it. But when you factor in his talent, I think um, you have to feel pretty good about it. What do you see out of him in college that made you so excited about him? I think the accuracy, the, the, now here's something that he didn't have last year. It was the low turnover rate. I mean, he didn't throw interceptions in college. It's again, he's playing at a, a at a diff, totally different level and he's uh, playing in a new system in his first year and there's a lot of not that he hadn't felt pressure I mean look he played at the highest level in college football playing in the playoffs uh, certainly he he was as as gutty a performer in that in that game against Clemson I mean I'll still look back I can't believe the guy got up let alone <laughs> through what six touchdown passes or whatever he did but I I just think uh, he's clearly uh, a guy who wants to succeed he's accurate Uh, I think he's a smart football player and he can make plays with his legs without being a guy who's strictly a runner you know I think he's a guy who can who can make those plays but at the same time he's he's still going to be somebody we'll look at as being a very accurate passer with a good arm and I, I think you could see that in his college days and I think you've seen glimpses of that it is brief time with the bears are you expecting a bigger improvement knowing it's not going to be matt Nagy's offense it's going to be luke getsy you know what i'm i guess i'm hoping that we're going to see a, a major leap i don't think anyone really has a has a feel for what the offense is going to look like i mean you know he's he spoke when, when he addressed the media last week. It was kind of in in broad terms about how he wants to get to know everybody in the offense, know who his players are. I appreciate that. I mean, I I would be I guess skeptical if I heard a newly named offensive coordinator step up there his first time meeting with the media and say, "Okay, we're doing A, B, and C. We're going to do this. We're going to throw the ball X number of times a game. We're going to run for X yards a game." I mean. I think he doesn't really know yet. Hopefully he's right now he's pouring over tapes and, and figuring it all out. But I think there are a lot of questions. Who are the players going to be? I mean, who, who are his receivers going to be next year? I think that's a big question. You know, the, the future of Allen Robinson, I think is, is still looming over this team long-term future of uh, the running back situation, I think is a question. So I, you know, I think, they got to get all those decisions made, but, but I'm encouraged. I mean, I think you look at his pedigree, you look at his background and you have to feel, I don't have a problem, John, with him being a first time offensive coordinator. I mean, that's one thing. Everybody needs a chance. Everybody needs an opportunity, right? Sean McVay needed a chance to be a head coach. Uh, and, and everybody's got to get that. So did Matt Nagy. And it obviously worked out a little better for, for uh, McVay, but you know, Nagy will probably get another shot somewhere, certainly as a coordinator and, and, you know, you'll see what happens down the road with him. But I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I like where he's coming from and uh, certainly you got to think that if they kept him around in green Bay, that given their offense and there was a guy playing the quarterback position, there, probably had a lot of say in who the coaches were. Uh, then uh, it's it's probably speaks well for him, I would think. So you're not worried about Poles and Eberflus not having any experience. That shouldn't be a problem necessarily for, for the Bears. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm a believer that people earn their opportunities. And I think if you hear what others have said about both those guys, and, and granted, now those may be people who are, friends and admirers of them but i think you know you look at the the things that have been said about polls coming out of kansas city and sometimes people say nice things about a guy because they want to get him to move on so you know i don't think these are false recommendations i think that uh, he seems like he's a very sharp guy i like what he said in his opening remarks to the media i like the way he's approached the job and Eberflus has certainly he's got the background i think and i know some people say well why didn't they go out and get an offensive coach well he's the head coach he's not the defensive coordinator i like the fact he said i'm not calling the defensive plays you know he's gonna he's got a guy now in williams who's gonna do that i think that that's important i think that 
a head coach in the NFL really is, is a CEO. I mean, to a certain extent in, in college football too, but I, and maybe in all sports these days, because it seems like half your time is taken up dealing with the media, right? And the personnel decisions are largely being made by the general manager and the, the scouting department, the personnel department. And so your job is to, to coach football, but you're coaching the guys who are coaching it in practice, right? You're running practice, but you're doing a lot of things. And I think that uh, ultimately he's got to be the guy who picks the right offensive coordinator and the right defensive coordinator. And, and it's just because he hasn't coached offense doesn't mean he doesn't understand it. As a matter of fact, I think in some ways, if you're a defensive coordinator, you may understand the offense better than, uh, than the offensive coaches because you're the guy trying to stop it, right? You're studying the tapes. You're, you're studying offenses. So I think you have to have a feeling for offense, even if you are a defensive guy. You know, you've covered the Bears for a long time. Why aren't you cynical yet? Well, I, I haven't covered them as closely <laughs> as I used to. I, I talk about them on the air. Uh, I used to cover them very closely, and they were very good uh, when I was uh, traveling with them and, and back in the Super Bowl year and, and, and back in the Dick era. And they were, look, they were a, a team of characters. But the whole, the sport has changed. The game has changed. The the role of the media in all of this has changed. We had access to guys. You can go up to a player one-on-one -on -one in the locker room, which today it's, it's much more difficult to do. And uh, I don't know. I'm, my nature, John, quite frankly, isn't to be cynical. I just, I've just never been that way. And that's not to say that I, I won't be critical and I won't see things I don't like, but I just think that, uh, I, I'm hopeful. I'm, you know, I, I, I guess every time there's a new start, you hope for uh, better things. I felt that way when Aggie was hired. I, I thought, hey, this sounds like they got a good guy here. And look, his first year, they things were pretty encouraging. And but sometimes things go south, right? And hopefully they will not go in that direction uh, for Eberflus and for the new staff. What's your expectation for them next year? <laughs> well. I haven't broken down the schedule wins and losses. Uh, I'd be, I'd be disappointed if they, they didn't take at least a little bit of a jump, maybe that gets them. Well, they can't be 500, but maybe they're a game under or a game over. I mean, I would think that would be, that would be a, a bit of a, a, a there'll be a nice start for them. I would say. And if they could do a little bit better than that, maybe go, something like uh, nine, oh, nine and eight, 10 and seven, whatever. They do have the extra game at home. I think that should help them. And uh, maybe it doesn't get them a wild card spot, but maybe it at least keeps them in the conversation. And uh, to uh, paraphrase what, what Mayor Lightfoot said, I think when the whole Arlington Heights thing started, uh, maybe keep them relevant <laughs> later in the year. You know, that would be nice. Uh, and, and, I'm, I'm optimistic they could do that because I think, uh, you know, one of the things polls I think will do is make sure they locks up Roquan Smith. And I think the defense, I think, will be good enough to keep them in the conversation. And now can they take another step with fields and with the offense? And that's on Luke Getze, the offensive staff. And, and we don't know yet, but, you know, my, my inkling is that, that they will at least – marginally improve it's tough guys have to learn a new playbook uh, anytime you change head coaches there's a transition period and sometimes that can go the other way too so you just hope more often than not though i think there's a little bit of improvement more to come with dave bennett in just a moment stay tuned this is sports talk chicago Bennett still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Dave, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, Northwestern basketball. How's the season been going? 
Well, it's an interesting season, John. It's it certainly from a one-loss standpoint. I think it's been difficult because they haven't gotten as many wins as they they probably deserve. They've, although I guess you know it is the old "you are what your record says you are." But if you look at it, they've lost nine Big Ten games, and eight of those have been by single digits, including a pair to the first place team in the conference, Illinois, and. They, they had Michigan State on the ropes once. They beat them on the road when they rematched them. They beat Indiana. They, they're right there late in the game, last couple of minutes, a one or two possession game with Wisconsin. Uh, Maryland, they, they split with a Maryland team that's really struggling. They only had one game where they really, you would look at it and say it was a blowout, and that was the game at Purdue. They get another chance at them coming up. I, I believe that this is the best Northwestern team since the NCAA tournament team in 2017. If you look at their remaining games, uh, their last five games in particular, it's a very manageable schedule and they're, they're winnable games. And so if they could somehow get in the high teens and wins and maybe get to 500 in the conference and, and win a couple games in the big 10 tournament, right. All of a sudden, maybe you get yourself onto the bubble. Or at least you you get yourself into the NIT, and I think that would be a step for this team. It's it's too bad they weren't able to close out a couple of those games that, you know, they first time with Illinois they had a six point lead with about I think eight minutes to go, and uh, they were tied with less than two minutes to go, but just just couldn't close it out. Well, this is an improvement over last year, right? They're doing much better this year than they were last season. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, I think this is a much better team. I mean, again, uh, I look at it in certain ways. Last year, they started really well in the COVID season, but it's, it's so hard to get a handle on that. They, they, they were ranked. They were 3-0 and in the Big Ten. They had a win at home over Michigan State. They won at Indiana. They beat Ohio State. And then they had to go on the road and play Iowa and Michigan back-to-back. Luca Garza and... Last year was the, the freshman Hunter Dickinson who had just come on and, and uh, it was a, an experienced Michigan team. And uh, those two uh, games, I think, kind of put them back on their heels and sent them into a kind of a deep tailspin where they had some chances kind of like this year, but couldn't get the wins. I think they've done a better job managing games this year late in the game. They, they had some games earlier where I think late game situations, maybe they weren't as sharp as they needed to be. You can make that argument for the game Sunday in Champaign where you know, they, they came from 18 down. They're down by one uh, with a few minutes to go and then just couldn't make a shot when they needed to. But I think overall, I think they've handled those situations a little better and, and given themselves a chance. That's what you want. So we'll see what they do here over the final six games. But, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by what they've done to this point. Would you say right now they're – in a decent enough position to make the tournament? But to make the NCAA tournament, I think they need some help. I think they're going to need to, to even if they, certainly they could use a win over Purdue this week at home. And Purdue, the last couple of times out, it's been a little shaky. Almost lost to Maryland Sunday, uh, one by one point. And they needed a block shot at the end to win that. And uh, they, they lost handily at Michigan. And, you know, the, the thing about it is the Big Ten is so unpredictable this year. I mean, it's, you know, the good teams in the conference, the teams at the top deserve to be there. They're all really good. I mean, Illinois, Wisconsin was, is the one surprise. They were picked to finish 10th. And there they are, just, uh, what, a, a half game, a game off the lead. And Purdue's right there. You knew they were going to be good. And they are. Uh, but at the same time, Purdue beats Illinois twice uh, and, and Purdue then goes and loses and gets blown out at Michigan. And then Michigan turns around and loses at home to Ohio state and which had just lost to Ryan Rutgers, which loses in overtime at Northwestern all of a sudden reels off three straight wins over ranked teams and a couple big road. You know, they, they, they win at Wisconsin this weekend. Very tough to do. So I, 
that part of it's the weird part, John, because it's just so hard to predict what anybody's going to do. Illinois has got a tough game coming up. They got to go to Rutgers and Rutgers is very hard to beat uh, out there in Piscataway. So you know what is Northwestern could, if you look at the, what they have left, they have one more ranked team that's Purdue this week. And then they've got uh, the remaining games. They've got two with Minnesota. They've got a rematch with Nebraska, a team they blew out out in Lincoln. Uh, and that's only one, one big 10 game as we speak, you look at this and you think, okay, these are, these are games they can win. They go to Penn state again, they, that's a winnable game for them. So if they win all those games and they win a couple games in the big 10 tournament, then I think they get themselves in position, but again, to predict those wins is very hard to do because, uh, it's, it's hard to win on the road. It's, it's hard to say, that this team's better than another team because uh, you, you see teams win when you don't expect them to. Dave, before we finish up today, last question, where'd the nickname Mr. Cat come from? How'd you get it? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a funny story, and, and I will preface it by saying it's, it's not something I ever endorsed or asked for or ever <laughs> use myself. I answer to it because it's kind of become a thing where uh, – People, especially people around Northwestern, will will throw it out there. Uh, Fitz, and <laughs> Coach Collins, but it was actually bestowed upon me for better or worse by my former colleague, my friend David Kaplan. He, I, I don't know why, but uh, he, he and, and he and I used to do some basketball games together, some Northwestern games on radio, and when he was here at WGN. He started referring to me as Mr. Cat, and for some reason, it caught on, and other people started using it, and so I have him to thank for it. <laughs> Do you like being called it or no? I, I feel a little awkward, uh, to be honest <laughs> with you, because I, I don't think of myself that way, and quite frankly, if there's any Mr. Cat at Northwestern, he's the guy coaching the football team. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you on. Best wishes, of course, with Northwestern, and looking forward to the next time we chat. John, always great being with you. Congrats on all your success and, and the podcast. And uh, anytime, feel free to give me a shout. Great talk there with Dan Bennett. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Dan Bennett himself, Matt Dubio, WCKG, Jim DeTolman, Tomorrow Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluam. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. And so long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?